Let Him Go isn't subtle, but as a genre film, it's original and shrewdly made with a floridly gripping suspense. That's Owen Gleiberman, one of the best film critics in America. He's the chief film critic for Variety. His thoughts on our feature review this week, Let Him Go. Let Him Go is only the third film that I've seen in movie theaters since the pandemic began in March 11th. Think about that. A guy like me, I could go once a week, and I've gone three times now in eight and a half months. And thankfully, I found it to be a very rewarding experience in a film that was much better than I had anticipated. I liked the trailer, but the movie was even better than the trailer. Plus, we've got entertainment news involving Wonder Woman 1984, a little Gal Gadot for you, coming to America. Uh, where have you heard this before? Pushed from 2020 now to 2021. Meryl Streep rapping. Big news, though, is we got Ben Lyons back, baby. Uh, the Lions Den, my man. You can always follow him on Twitter, Instagram. I am Ben Lyons, uh, the son of Jeffrey Lyons, a famed film critic, grandson, famous newspaper columnist, Leonard Lyons. Ben is the best. If you're a cinephile listener, you know about me and Ben. We go way back. In many ways, he's the reason there even is a cinephile because of his support and getting me to the Oscars. Haven't caught up with Ben since February 5th. That was when we talked uh, just after Sundance, and he was giving his reviews of the Sundance movie. So long time catch up with Ben. His wife's got a new book out. I encourage everyone to check that out. Mariah Lyons. It's called Crystal Healing for Women. Uh, and we talk about just you know his favorite movies so far this year and what films to look forward to with the awards circuit. Normally, we'd be knee-deep. I start getting screeners in mid-October. Uh, now I think it's going to be mid-December because you know the Oscars got pushed from late February to late April. So if you do the math, two months from now, we should get going. But December is going to be a big-time month for your Oscar hopefuls. December 4th, you're going to get Mank from David Fincher, Nomadland, which won the Audience Award in Toronto, Chloe Jaws film, Francis McDormand getting a ton of Oscar buzz, One Night Miami, Regina King's movie coming to Amazon Prime on Christmas Day. Uh, so December is going to be a big, big month as far as major movies are concerned. And also, we always appreciate everyone's feedback. So there was a comment last week, hey, can you get a Mount Rushmore Stephen King adaptations? And so, yeah, that's what we're going to do this week. We we are nothing if not people, you know, sorry, I was going to say man of the people, but then it was me and Joe. So we are people of the people, and we are willing to uh, take whatever advice we can get, whatever feedback we can. As always, thanks to all of you for your comments on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. My cousin, Nisrit, she's so sweet. She left an unbelievable review. It was filled with hyperbole, but it was incredibly generous of her. So she's so sweet to always listen and said a lot of nice things, which are not true. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I did like the fact she gave Joe some love. Joe is a sidekick in every sense of the word, supportive and humorous. His Puerto Rican Brooklyn insight is always welcome much like it was with Dan, the prior producer and co-pilot of Cinephile. It's, it's what's most underrated about Joe. When you hear Joseph Engelbrecht, you go, okay, Swedish guy. But the, the Puerto Rican side, Joe, let's not sleep on that. Oh, claro que sí. Yeah, and I speak Spanish. What? I'm fluent, completely fluent in Spanish too, Adnan. So let me know if you need anything translated that Google Docs can't translate for you and I can help. <laughs> I love it. If you see, if you saw Joe right now, I mean, blonde hair, you think, okay, Norwegian, right? He's from one of those countries. No, no, no. He's half Puerto Rican, baby. He speaks fluent Spanish. I mean, we're, we're going to have a great time here on the podcast as always. So, uh, Doc Lou, Iowa. Showtime is showing First Reformed. Finally saw it. Went back to hear your interview and review with Paul Schrader. Saw the comparisons. A taxi driver in IMDb trivia section. Enjoyed the movie. Doc Lou, Iowa is a common uh, reviewer and commenter. Thank you, sir. First Reformed is incredible. God, I love that movie. I had it as one of the best movies of the year. I've told the story previously on Cinephile, so I'm glad you went back and listened to the review and my interview with Schrader. But it's so embarrassing. I was actually with Max Bredas at the Broadcast Film Critics Award last January, so almost two years ago. And I just, I love First Reform so much. 
which I'm still, God, now I'm getting angry. Doc Luiwa, you made me mad because Ethan Hawke did not get nominated for Best Actor. Guy's been nominated four times for Oscars, twice for Script, twice for Supporting Actor. Boyhood and Training Day, never nominated for Best Actor. And I think First Reformed is his best performance, but it's one of these indie movies that just none of people saw. I, I believe, I'll have to look up on this, I believe he won Best Actor, the New York Film Critics Awards and the LA Film Critics Awards. But once he got snubbed for the Golden Globes and the SAGs, I go, well, this is over. He's not going to get nominated for an Oscar. So it's a long way of saying Paul Schrader was there and I believe he did win the Film Critics Award, and I know he was definitely nominated for an Oscar, first time ever. Like, for God's sakes, the guy wrote Taxi Driver, his first ever Oscar nomination at 74. I waited for him to, like, come out of the bathroom just so I could accost him and thank him. And I did say, hey, thank you for doing an interview for my podcast, Cinephile. You were on a train. He's like, oh, was I on the Amtrak? I'm like, well, I don't know. I was, I was in my home, and you were on a train somewhere, but you were great, and thank you, Mr. Schrader. So, yeah, if you've, ever, if you've never seen First Reformed, you should go out there and check it out. All right, let's dive in. Um... Like I said, third movie I've seen in the movie theater. It's been a while, okay? And there's nothing better than going to the movies. Ben Lyons and I are going to talk a little bit later on about the fact that movies have kind of taken a back seat this year just to, you know, the, the continuing avalanche of people binging stuff. And by the way, I, The Undoing. Again, I'm not giving away anything. If you haven't seen it, just see it, okay? Season finale is coming up this Sunday at 9. Joe and I are huge football fans. I love Sunday Night Football, and yet I'm tearing myself away in commercial breaks. Let me just get two minutes of The Undoing. Okay, then I'll go back to watch the football. Then I go back to two more minutes of The Undoing. So in the course of a three-hour football game, I'm actually about halfway through the episode, and then I just knock it out at 11.15 and go to bed terrified. But uh, definitely check it out. Season finale coming up. And how about Fargo? We are now 10 episodes in. The season finale, I believe, is coming up as well on Sunday. 11 episodes for the fourth season. It has been absolutely brilliant. So two shows that you should be watching if you haven't. The Undoing, and Fargo. But back to movies. Let him go. Following the loss of their son, a retired sheriff and his wife leave their Montana ranch to rescue their young grandson from the clutches of a dangerous family living off the grid in the Dakotas. This stars three marvelous actors. And you're thinking, I thought it was only two. Well, that's right. Kevin Costner and Diane Lane are the leads. They are the father and son. But Leslie Manville is absolutely tremendous in a supporting role. She was the sister in Phantom Thread, Oscar-nominated, brilliantly cutting and scathing with her words towards Reynolds Woodcock, the character played by Daniel Day-Lewis. More on her in a second, but let's focus on the leads first, because if you watch the trailer, you go, okay, I think I know where this is going. This is like a Western revenge thriller. Feels like it's familiar. It's got a little bit of the DNA of No Country for Old Men. It's got a little bit maybe of Unforgiven. It's kind of a pastiche of those types of movies. But I think when you collide them all together, and because there's a real artistry with the way that Thomas Bazucha does the film, he's the director and the writer, wrote the script based on the novel by Larry Watson, it ends up feeling awfully fresh and awfully original, which is why I really like that Owen Gleiberman blurb, the fact that he mentioned the fact that you know for a genre film, it is original and shrewdly made because it's done in a way that's really quite elegant. Let's focus on the actors first. Kevin Costner. I mean, what a career. Guy's 65 years old. Like, I'm turning to my wife going, like, how good does Kevin Costner look? And she's like, yeah, he looks old now. I'm like, he's 65 years old, for God's sakes. He's got a better hairline at 65 than I do at 42. Hasn't put on any weight. Still looks great. I mean, his career, California native. Like, I, I mock Dances with Wolves a lot, and I'm standing by that assertion because it just it's outrageous that it beat Goodfellas. But Joe and I talked previously about The Untouchables. I mean, he's great in that. You think about 80s Costner, I mean, Field of Dreams and Bull Durham. And I mean, this guy's a great actor. Next week, we're going to do Mount Rushmore and Kevin Costner because he really is a, a wonderful actor and a guy that definitely has had some major missteps. Waterworld, The Postman, 
But lately, it's been kind of like, you know, these smaller roles. Uh, Men of Steel, he was in, I believe he was Superman's dad. He was in uh, Sorkin's directorial debut, Molly's Game, played Jessica Chastain's father. And he's found a home on the small screen. Where else? Westerns, right? What is going to get people more excited than Kevin Costner in a cowboy hat? Seriously, find me one thing. He wins an Emmy for Hatfields and McCoys. That was 2012. Uh, he's also been a huge hit with Touchstone. Uh, I know people are Yellowstone, excuse me, <laughs> Touchstone movies. Uh, that They did Three Men and a Baby. Uh, Yellowstone, which is the movie on uh, Paramount, I believe, is the network, or Audience, one of those things. I always see the trailers for it. I know people who love that show. I think it is uh, certainly has a good audience there. So Coster and Westerns is great. And here he is playing the sad dad, right? He's kind of tapping into a little bit of Cary Cooper. Very taciturn, very laconic, a man of few words, a man who buries his emotions, one spoiler, just as he buries his son, comes on very early in the movie. So there's this tragedy that the him are trying to overcome here, and that's why he's one of these stiff, upper-crust dads. By the way, Gary Cooper, one of the greatest lines ever in The Sopranos, when Tony Soprano says, whatever happened to Gary Cooper? You know, strong, silent type. Costner's really good in the movie, but the heartbeat in many ways is Diane Lane. And you're thinking, Diane Lane, I mean, hubba hubba. Like, they make her look older here in the movie because with the white hair, but God, she still looks like a million bucks. Go out and watch Unfaithful tomorrow. You'll say, oh my God, Diane Lane. That'll make your heart flutter. And her performance is excellent because she's got shades of Frances McDormand in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which is one of my favorite movies of the last decade. She doesn't have that same powder keg of rage, but she's got this fierce maternal instinct and she's a real woman of conviction. So their son suffers a tragic death. And then it's a really good reveal by Basucha. You think that you see him in the next scene, he's, he's donning his tie and she's helping him with, with his tie. And you think they're going to the funeral. But in fact, it's a wedding. Uh, their daughter-in-law is getting remarried. And they also have their grandson with them. So very quickly, you can figure out this guy's bad news. Diane Lane sees him one day being abusive towards a kid who's got his ice cream cone. He's being rude to uh, you know, their son's ex-wife. And uh, she realizes something bad's here. And all of a sudden, she goes to surprise him with a cake, make sure they're okay, and boom, they've up and gone. He's a wee boy. That's the last thing, which, by the way, sounds like one of those names you get in a movie, right? Blanche Wee Boy. This is the Wee Boy clan. They've gone to North Dakota, and they've taken their grandson with them. And Diane Lane tells Kevin Costner what happened. I saw this dude being abusive. we got to go get our grandson and rescue him. Hence the title, Let Him Go, which works on multiple levels. One, let our grandson go. But also, you've got to let your son go. And in many ways, some of the most poignant moments are, this is a story about grief and sadness and coming to terms with just unbearable despair. And it's done uh, with this atmospheric way. North Dakota, these vast landscapes, you know, the mountains, the valleys, the flora and the fauna. You've got a melodic score, which is a whiff of Unforgiven. And like I said, you can kind of tell where the story is going. But I thought the way it was rendered and the way it was told was really fresh. And, and I just really felt enveloped in the movie. There's nothing better. I'll tell you, there's nothing better in life than going to the movies and you sit there and you enjoy the credits and you think about the characters and the journey they've been on. And the film is very unhurried. You know, it's not in a rush to go anywhere. There's a lot of just nice, quiet scenes of Kevin Costner and Diane Lane. They are completely convincing as this long married couple that has a nice relationship, but they've got a lot of pain that they've had to go through. Little small moments. Kevin Costner picks up some booze. He stops as they're walking. He walks outside, takes a swig, and she says, happy, with a bit of an edge to her. And he goes, happy not to get a lecture. And you're like, all right, this is, like, this is the way married couples are after 30 plus years. She doesn't like it. He likes it. This is how the life is. They move on. But I really thought it was well done. And like I said, I, I enjoyed everything about this movie. I enjoyed it a lot more than I should have. I'm going to give it three and a half Maple Leafs. And maybe part of that is just because I was happy to have the cinematic experience. But this film stayed with me more than I think it should have, at least I thought going in. 
And I think it's a good thriller. And by the way, surprisingly violent. Like I said, it's got some different, different moods to it. You know, it's got that Western feel because of the landscape, but then it becomes this revenge thriller and the ending is like, whoa, you, you feel like you know where it's going, but there's, there's some fire and brimstone in this baby. And that brings me lastly to Leslie Manville. Costner's underplaying. I think Lane is also very subdued. Manville is so over the top. It's hilarious. Like, as soon as she shows up, it becomes a different movie. And I'm saying this in a positive sense. She gives the film a real jolt of electricity. The way that she's offering them her pork and they're smoking her cigarettes, her big blonde curls. I mean, she's completely different than the character you saw in Phantom Thread, but clearly relishing playing this awful woman, this wretched villain who is the matriarch of the Wee Boy clan. You don't cross them. It's, it's kind of makes you think, you know, behind every... Uh, you know, hell hath a woman scorned, right? Because she is just someone who is not to be trifled with. It's a long way of saying, let him go is really good. I hope you can all see it in theaters like I did. Three and a half Maple Leafs. Joe? And how's the uh, um, cinematography on it? I feel like the landscaping, you know, just like that landscape just will allow for like great cinematography in these beautiful shots. Oh, couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, it's, I was awestruck at times thinking about it. Cause in my head, I'm like, listen, I'm probably never going to go to North Dakota, right? There's no reason I'm ever going to go there. I don't need family there. We're not like the adventurous type. We got four kids. I mean, it's pretty expensive. I think we're just going to go to North Dakota. So when I watch movies like this, I go, oh my God. I mean, it, 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 uh, and I know it's a cliche, but it takes your breath away. It's so well shot. And it's a lot of like, you know, long shots, establishing shots, you know, slight tracking shots, just kind of give you that moment and then it lets you kind of sit in the way. I mean, I think this movie would have been ruined by a lot of those jarring close-ups you see so many of these TV directors doing right now. I mean, I, I like the fact that it felt very old school, you know, John Ford, classical filmmaking. The cinematography was amazing, Joe. I have a follow-up question for you. Ha- okay. Jeffrey Donovan, who pl- plays Bill Weeboy, do you think he's now getting typecast to play people from North Dakota because he was in season two of Fargo and that that their whole family is the North Dakota mob or clan in that season. Yeah, I was wondering. He's one. He's one of the actors of the cast. That I definitely recognize. Him. Like, where do I know this guy from? So, thank you for pointing that out. Uh, he's from Massachusetts originally, which is interesting. The fact he's now being typecast as a North Dakota guy. Now that you've made that connection, there's there is something to do that. He was also in Changeling. He was in the uh, Sicario. Uh, follow-up, but yeah, could you imagine? You're a guy from Massachusetts being typecast now as a guy who's known for playing people from North Dakota. Dodd Gerhardt, that was his character in Fargo. That was a good season of Fargo, wasn't it? Oh, that was an incredible... I think that might have been my favorite, but this new season of Fargo, not to get too far off topic, I think it's very good right now. I'm sure we'll talk about it next week, too, but that episode, I watched the black and white one that you were talking about, uh... So good. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. I, th- I think season one's my favorite just because I love Billy Bob Thornton so much and it was so fresh and original. But season four might be uh, the second best season, but season two is really good as well. A couple of blurbs here, then we'll move on to some news. Tara McNamara, Common Sense Media. Steely, gun-toting, horse-riding grandmas are very likely to have an appeal for audiences of a certain age, and that age doesn't have teen in it. Yes, this isn't exactly a millennial-type movie. And Johnny Oleksinski of the New York Post. This is director Thomas Bazucci's tensest and most brutal movie ever, a ruthless, gripping thriller starring Diane Lane, Kevin Costner, and a villainous Leslie Manville. Make sure you check out Let Him Go. Some entertainment news before we get to my man Ben Lyons. Audiences will get to see Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas Day after all. So I want to keep going to the movies here, okay? Trust me, I was safe, by the way. We went on a Friday night, my wife and I, masks on, okay? Uh, Got some Twizzlers. There was five people in the theater, plenty of social distancing. We're good. So I want to keep going to the movies as much as I can. So thankfully, Wonder Woman 1984 will be in the movies. However, I'm sure for many of you, you're hesitant to go. Totally recognize that. I understand if you're feeling skittish. 
So, HBO Max is also coming through. That's right. They're going to debut on HBO Max on Christmas Day, the same day it's opening in theaters. It's streaming on HBO Max for a month at no additional cost to subscribers. And internationally, it's going to premiere in cinemas one week earlier, December 16th. So we'll get an idea as far as the review is a little bit early. But interesting that for going a traditional theatrical release because Wonder Woman 1984 was supposed to be one of the biggest movies of the year, right? $200 million budget, opening at a billion dollars in ticket sales. Uh, I believe the number is now 50% of U.S. cinemas are closed. Um, but I like the fact they're keeping the Christmas Day release. I mean, some of these other movies, Black Widow, Fast and Furious 9, No Time to Die, uh, all postponed to 2021. So at least we get some good news. It's still here. If you don't have HBO Max, by the way, it costs $15 a month. I mean, I know there's a lot of money right now between Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney, but HBO Max, I mean, they've struggled to compete right now against the Netflixes and the Amazon Primes and Disney Plus. So this is a big move here getting uh, our girl Gal Gadot, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, and it's a, it just seems like such a blow to the theater industry. I know like the AMCs and the Regals and the big chains will ultimately be fine, but the small mom and pop theaters that have now closed they were really hoping for this movie to come out. I'm glad it is coming out on HBO so that I can watch it. But, you know, I just hope that theater as a whole will be able to survive this winter. I agree, man. It's uh, winter is coming, to quote Game of Thrones. And it's, uh, it's going to be bleak, you're right, for those small movie theaters, which are so dependent upon all the revenue from their local communities. Also, coming to America, one of the greatest comedies of all time. So the sequel, Amazon Prime, March 5th. 2021, both in the USA and more than 240 countries worldwide. Eddie Murphy back as Prince Akeem, long-awaited sequel to the 1988 comedy. That's right. Bypassing a traditional theatrical release was supposed to hit the big screen in December. Now it's going to be on Amazon Prime. So Amazon Prime doing well with their comedies here. They already had Borat, subsequent movie film. Amazon and Paramount wouldn't comment on the terms of the deal. Sources say the purchase price for both films was in the $125 million range. Think about that, Joe. That, that's just an obscene amount of money. That is so much money. I mean, I will be there to watch Coming to America. And I already watched Borat uh, on Amazon. But that, I can't even fathom. Just for two movies, too. Do you think that they would have recouped that budget in theaters? Like, what do you think, um, you know, Paramount is thinking when they are uh, selling these to Amazon and all these streamers. Yeah, I would have just thought, like, why can't you just wait till next year release it in theaters? Like, the vaccine, God willing, is going to be here in about a month. Emergency workers will get it first. Healthcare, of course, they're most uh, in need and deserving. Then we go to the seniors. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm listening to Dr. Fauci like everybody else. By April, May, and June, we're going to have this thing under control, widespread vaccine available. Again, knock on wood. So I'm like, hey, why can't you just push the movie to, to June of next year? I mean, I especially great comedies. I love to see in a big theater like that. So I I wish Coming to America was going to be in a big theater. And I, I think they would have recouped that money. I mean, that's a, that's a classic comedy beloved by many, many people. So who am I to know? I guess maybe the reason is just do it now. Listen, you, you get your $125 million and uh, Amazon Prime's happy and everybody wins. One more bit of news before we get to Ben Lyons and the Mount Rushmore of Stephen King adaptations. Ryan Murphy's star-studded Netflix adaptation of the bouncy Broadway musical this, The Prom, set for release next month. 2019 stage production, seven Tony nominations. So this movie's going to be pretty big, right? Well, how about this? Meryl Streep's in it, and she's rapping. Wear Your Crown, which was released this week. Got to wear your crown on your tiara. It's the time to bust out the mascara. Who needs shade? There's nothing duller. We live in life in technicolor. But if your sparkle starts to fade, go out and start your own parade. And if somebody starts with new drama, just go high like Michelle Obama. Meryl Streep, our world's greatest actress, is now rapping. Gotta wear your crown or your tiara. Now is the time to bust out the mascara. We need shade. There's nothing duller. We live in life and for technicolor. Joe, your thoughts? 
And, and I have so many friends who swear that Meryl Streep can do no wrong. I love Ryan Murphy, love People vs. O.J. Simpson, American Horror Story, all that. But when I heard this, as the kids would say, this was total cringe for me. Because I was just like, I, I, I know what you're doing, but now that I know that this is Meryl Streep, I can't unknow that, and I can't take that out of my mind. So I, it, it's fine, it's fine. I'll play some of the audio right now. But it, it's... Yeah, that that was my take on it. What was your take? Um, it felt a bit like a jump the shark moment, which is an old old reference to Happy Days episode when Fonzie jumped a shark. So I like that you went new with make it cringe, and I'm going old with the jumping the shark. I mean, listen, who am I to uh, criticize Ryan Murphy? Like you said, I also love People versus O.J. Simpson. Obviously, a very talented guy, getting a ton of money from uh, Netflix. But yeah, this is eh, we'll see. <laughs> it could be could yeah. be shades of Daniel Day Lewis <laughs> singing in Nine, which was cringeworthy. Speaking of great actors doing bad work. Right, yeah, exactly. Or Adam Driver in Marriage Story when he's singing in the restaurant. Oh, God, yeah, jeez. For a really good movie, I hated that scene. All right, coming up, ne- coming up next, Ben Lyons and the Mount Rushmore Stephen King adaptations. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The man, the myth, the legend returns. That's right. I am Ben Lyons is back, baby, on Cinephile. His first appearance since February 5th. So we've got a lot to talk to. Ben, I remember talking to you. This was shortly after you gave us our Sundance review. And you were telling me after Kobe died, what that was like being at Sundance. Just this crazy situation. And, of course, now we've had an even more eventful year, to say the least. How are you doing first and foremost? We'll get into the movies. Your wife's written a book. Mariah, shout out to Mariah K. Lines writing a book. How are you doing right now in California dealing with all of this? Well, th- thanks for having me back on the show. It's crazy to think that that is within the calendar year because you might as well have said it was five years ago and I would have believed you. The world's in a much different place. The state of movies are in a diff- different place. Our family's in a different place. Everybody is. So it's uh, it's been challenging, but we're doing okay, happy and healthy, all the good things. But, you know, um, Ryan spent the time during this pandemic. She locked in, uh, knocked out a book, Crystal Healing for Women, available where books are sold. Uh, and I'm really proud of her. She's got something she can hold in her hand and said, oh, this is what I did during the pandemic. I made this. And it's been incredible to see it out there in the world. Almost like reminds me, Adnan, to get it back to Cinephile sort of the process of an independent film, doing it resourcefully on a bare budget, 
uh, you know, bare bones budget. You do it in a short window of time, and boom, next thing you know, it plays at Sundance and it's out there in the world. So she's in that phase now where it's uh, it's out there and people are connecting to it, and it's really fun to see. That's awesome, man. Crystal Healing for Women. I promise I'm going to pick a book up as well to support the cause, and I'm sure Mariah will do a great job with it as well. Um, let's dive into some movies. You know, every, is- time, every time we catch up, Adnan, you and I, we talk about different meditation rituals and different healing stones <laughs> and things that you can do to help Carson Wentz become an NFL quarterback <laughs> again. You know, these are, these are the things you and I connect over. Oh, thanks for bringing up the NFC least right now. Three, six, and one. Ben Lyons is a former Eagles fan. I'm a current Eagles fan. And by the way, when the Eagles won the NFC Championship game, went to the Super Bowl, I'll never forget, I was with Ben at Sundance for this glorious moment. But yes, you mock and you may because, God, they stink. Um, BFCA, you hooked me up. The Broadcast Film Critics Association, which is the best. This literally saved my life. There's no way I could have kept just driving two hours to go see Silence or go see whatever critically acclaimed film I wanted to go see. So then we get the screeners. This is my first question to you. Have you talked to Sarah Voorhees? Are we still getting screeners? Normally, screeners would start coming mid-October. Now the Oscars have been pushed back two months from late February to late April. I mean, I just wore my jean jacket that I got from Dolomite is my name. Are we getting Are we getting stuff this year? <laughs> I could see you with your Dolomite jean jacket and your two Pope's red slippers drinking a uh, bottle of Charlize there on bombshell wine, just <laughs> reminiscing over 2019. Um, the whole calendar in Hollywood's been pushed, man. Everything's out of whack and upside down. I'm noticing now a lot of the studios are reaching out and saying, hey, do you just want links instead? I think people understand that eyeballs are coveted in an election year in a year when people's priorities are, are, are much different, obviously. They just want to get you to see the movie any which way they can. So if it sends you a screener, sends you a link, sends you something in the mail, um, you know, God, movies have been impacted, as every industry has, uh, by the, the new world that we live in. So I know our, our, our DVDs are coming. Uh, I think there'll be more links, uh, but I do hope you continue the tradition on Christmas Eve of driving three hours to go to New York to see whatever religious persecution movie is the talk of the town. (laughs) As you famously said about Silence, it goes in the list with United 93 of great movies that I have no intention of ever watching again. Um, So the movies are coming. The links are coming. Obviously, you're still seeing as much as you can, as am I. We're relying on streaming. Listen, Netflix has certainly been a bounty for us, and we're still going out to see really good movies. I went and saw The Climb, which I texted you about, a great buddy comedy. I just actually really enjoyed this Kevin Costner, Diane Lane, western-slash-thriller called Let Him Go. I I thought it had no business being any good, and I went and saw it, and I actually loved it. So maybe I'm just desperate to watch new films, but... I want to get your predictions. Here's like at least three predictions. I'm going to go easy with this, but Spike Lee is your favorite director. I hope to five bloods does great at the Oscars. I think Delroy Lindo's a cinch to get a supporting actor nomination. I think Sorkin's a cinch to get nominated for trial of the Chicago seven. Although you and I haven't talked about it. I liked it. I didn't love it. I actually had high expectations and I don't think the film met those expectations. And I think Nomadland is going to be huge. Nomadland and Mank are both opening December 4th. Um, I believe Mank is limited release, but it'll be on Netflix December 4th. But for Francis McDormand getting lots of pub here for this performance in Chloe Jaws movie. What are some predictions? What are some movies you, particularly Ben Lines, are fired up to see? Because December is going to give us a bunch, including One Night in Miami, Regina King's new movie. Man, lots to unpack, ad man. Let's get into it, huh, shall we? Well, let's start off with your boy Aaron Sorkin, because I actually went to the premiere of the Chicago 7, and it was my first drive-in that I'd ever been to. Netflix did it big at the Rose Bowl. 
in the parking lot, handing out deep dish Chicago pizzas to everybody. And the thing I took away from just the driving experience is one, the sound in my car. Whoo. Talk about like Dolby all Atmos or whatever. That was nice. The sound was crazy in the car, but the performances are crowd pleasing. It feels a little schmaltzy at times. Sasha Baron Cohen is excellent in it. And what a year he's had. He should be a double dominee at the Globes and, and possibly even at the Oscars. Um, and, and, you know, I, I found it to be a, a little, like I said, a little bit of a crowd pleaser. And you, you know where the beats are going. And there's no real women characters in the entire which is something that kind of stood out to me. But uh, what else did you talk about? Uh, Regina King's new film, that looks ter- terrific. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. But one night in, in, in Havana is a true story of when some of the most influential and impo- powerful voices of the 1960s got together after a big leader was a Cassius Clay and Sonny Liston fight. Um, it's it's, it's uh, Muhammad Ali's there and, and Jim Brown and Malcolm X. And it's this meeting of, of culture and kind of reminiscent if you think about what's going on and reminds me of just kind of what's going on today in the world of sports being at the center of the conversation around social justice. Regina King, obviously going to be in the conversation for best director. Like I said, sight unseen, but I'm hearing great, great things. Um, uh, well, Oh, Nomadland, Chloe Zhao. Chloe Zhao is one of my favorite directors. I mean, the rider a couple of years ago from Cannes and Sundance, it's one of the most beautiful sports films you'll ever see about a bull rider and how he falls off and has to rebuild his life and get back on the bull. And, and now No Man Land is getting huge buzz. I think she's doing a Marvel movie as well coming up. So Chloe Zhao definitely going to be in the mix. I'm glad you mentioned the five bloods. Delroy Lindo, I think a lock for a supporting actor nomination. Um, also, too, in a crazy year, Adnan, the last time I can remember seeing Chad with Bozeman on screen. Um, a great performance, too, from, from someone we lost far too young. Um, and, and then now it's time for the Sundance movies that we talked about last time on the pod to actually come out and be part of the awards conversation. Wander Darkly, directed by Tara Mealy, starring Sienna Miller and Diego Luna. Uh, my favorite movie at Sundance, incredibly powerful thriller and drama about a young couple that gets in a car crash and uh, I don't want to give anything else away, but it'll move you to your core. Ask Josh Horowitz. I sat next to him 85 minutes. I'm weeping for 82 of them. I think Tara Mealy is a tremendous talent, and Sienna and Diego are in the Oscar conversation. And, uh, yeah, what else did I miss from, from your big intro? You set me up to cover a lot of different things. I did. I kind of went all the way. It was a very poor question. I threw six movies at you. I expected to remember all of them. But shout out to Tara Mealy. She's going to be a guest on Cinephile thanks to you. You were hooking us up with the PR team there. So Wander Darkly, I've got a screener now thanks to you. And we're going to talk to Tara Mealy hopefully December 8th here on Cinephile. So look forward to that. You hit all the big ones there. Oh, what about oh, me? Oh, that's what? fantastic, yeah, man. I love that. That warms my heart. She came down in the library at Sundance, special little theater, to premiere that film. And she said, you know, 20 years ago, I made a student film up at Slam Dance, and it took me 20 years to get down the mountain here at Sundance. And it was just like such a beautiful way to introduce that film. So I'm happy she'll be on your show. That's awesome. I cannot wait to see Wander Darkly. What about Mink? David Fincher movie. This is a movie for guys like you and me. Black and white about a Hollywood figure from 60 years ago. Joseph L. Mankiewicz co-wrote Citizen Kane. I mean, this is one of those that you're like... I mean, I, I don't know what the, what the wide appeal of this, but Fincher and Gary Oldman, that has my attention, yes? Absolutely, and, and i got to be honest, I'm a little uh, you know, biased on this one because I've got some inside baseball connections to a project like this, obviously having worked closely with Ben Mankiewicz, but then my, my grandfather, Leonard Lyons, his best friend was Orson Welles. So uh, my dad went to bullfights with Orson. So, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely a film that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, and, and I feel like 
will be uh, right there in the awards conversation because Gary Oldman's fresh off of winning a Best Actor. David Fincher, of course, anytime he directs something of note. Um, will it be too inside uh, to sort of appeal to a broader audience? Potentially. Um, it's in black and white, which is always a challenge. But Netflix goes for it, man. I mean, what, you know, I, I, they're really empowering the great filmmakers of our time to be able to tell the stories on the scale for which they want to tell. I mean, Spike Lee and Scorsese and, and, and Fincher now and Quaron and the list goes on uh, of great filmmakers who are using Netflix and the, 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 the resources they have now. Sorkin, we just talked about, um, to go out there and, and, and create art at the highest level. Yeah, there's no question about it. Netflix is pushing hard right now. And to circle back to your point about Sasha Baron Cohen, I couldn't agree more, Ben. I thought the second Borat is brilliant. I thought the first Borat was brilliant. I think he's fearless. I think he's uncompromising. I think he gets in a character like no one else except for Daniel Day-Lewis. Why can't comedies be recognized? I, I haven't seen all the films yet, like you, but I'd have a hard time not getting that movie some love. I don't know if it's a Best Picture nomination, or he gets a Best Actor, or she gets a Best Actress nomination, or the screenplay, which got nominated previously. The first Borat, the script did get nominated, but I, that's a great movie, dude. Like th That movie makes you think, and it's hysterical, and he does it again. And it's really boundary-breaking, too, and, and it's this new hybrid of, is it acting, it's performance art, and it's political theater, and it's part of the cultural conversation in terms of when you even release it is part of the art behind that that whole project. Um, and yeah, I mean, God, what a tremendous talent. Remember him in Sweeney Todd. I remember that was sort of the first time that he like broke out and did something so outside the box to show you that he had the full range of, of talent and he's doing it in real life too, taking on Zuckerberg and Facebook and doing the thing. So I'm all in on the talent of Sasha Baron Cohen. And I hope, um, you know, the, the Hollywood machine, uh, awards him. And he, I don't know if he, you know, this whole awards process, Adnan, I'm so curious by it. You and I have been covering it for years, you know, we've seen it at every level and just the idea of campaigning and how that looks different. I mean, is Sasha going to do a zoom with every member of the Academy? He can't go to Spago and have a cocktail party anymore. Like, what are you going to do to roll these movies out? I'm very, it's a very, it's a real high class problem for Hollywood to have, but just the idea behind, marketing and campaigning and yeah Sasha Cohen deserves his credit for Borat and should be nominated for Best Actor it's a ridiculous performance it's insane yeah and I love the fact you're always going to look at movies that maybe others are not here you're going to champion certain movies that are not going to get love which leads me to Octopus Teacher which I've not heard of except for you via text tell us about Octopus Teacher Oh, my God, your algorithm on Netflix must be so different than mine. What do you have, Fast and Furious for Kids, which I just found out about, I guess? <laughs> a lot of Paw Patrol, yes. Oh, man. Well, well, this is an insane movie. It's a story of a filmmaker who was burnt out trying to get his projects made. So he went back to his village in South Africa where he grew up diving, free diving off the coast of South Africa. And he befriends an octopus on the bottom of the ocean floor. Over the course of a year, he goes down there every day. And at first, the octopus is a little scared of him. And then he reaches out his tentacle, and then they become great buddies. And he's filming it all with no uh, uh, scuba gear on or anything. He's just down there swimming. It's incredible. And uh, I hope people check it out. My octopus teacher, you'll find yourself sitting there weeping over the friendship between a diver and an octopus on the bottom of the ocean. It's unlike any movie you'll, you'll see this year. And I think it's going to get uh, some attention come, you know, best documentary at the Oscars. That's fantastic. Um, 
Closing thoughts. Is there any movie in particular that you hope people see? Like you said, a Sundance film perhaps that's coming out relatively soon that you hope people can find? I'm glad you liked The Climb as much as I did. I thought that was a great, great comedy. It was so artistic, so well shot by Michael Cavino. Yeah, that's a great, that's a sweet film, you know, and it's, it's one of those movies that I think over time will find its audience as those guys' careers continue to blossom and people will kind of go back and look at some of their earlier stuff. So yeah, definitely check out The Climb. Charm City Kings, it made its way to HBO Max. This is a really cool film set in, uh, in Baltimore and the whole world of like biker life and Meek Mill's in it as a uh, uh, a guy who gets out of jail is trying to rebuild his life. And it's some great performances, kind of like a stand by me kind of vibe to it. Some great performances from, from a young cast. I loved it at Sundance. Um, but other than that, Adnan, honestly, it's, it's been a, a tough year. I haven't had a chance to see Tenet yet. Excited for uh, uh, One Night Miami. Oh, Promising Young Woman. That's a film that would have crushed pre-pandemic in theaters. Terry Mulligan goes on all these uh, dates with these different guys, and, and it gets insane. I don't want to give it away, but a hilarious commentary uh, on what it means to be a single woman out there dating. And, and she deserves lots of attention for her performance um, and a reminder of what a talent she is. So, yeah, I want to give some love to Promising Young Woman. I've written down Octopus Teacher, Promising Young Woman, and Crystal Healing for Women. I'm going to pick up later today. Mariah Lyons, that's right, Ben's wife. By the way, I just Googled it, Ben, reasonably priced. And there's an audio book, apparently, Crystal Healing for Women, A Modern Guide to the Power of Crystals for Renewed Energy, Strength, and Wellness, written by Mariah K. Lyons. Listen, audiobook's 11 bucks. Did you voice the audiobook? <laughs> I didn't voice the audio book. No, we want people to listen to it. You know, the fact, Adnan, that we could be in Utah and go to the Barnes & Noble where she grew up going as a little girl, and she said, look, they have my book here, and she signed copies for them. I guess an incredible feeling. Again, circling back to Sundance, that idea of a director saying, I worked on this script my whole life, and here I am, I get to show it in, in Eccles or in the library. That's how I feel for Mariah, and, and it's, it's her moment, and she's uh, it's, it's people are hitting her up from Australia and from all over Europe and it's everywhere. And, uh, she started it, uh, you know, right at the top of, uh, at the top of March. So, um, it's a really just an inspiring story for her and I'm really proud of her. That's so awesome. I'm so happy for her. Like I said, I'm going to pick it up later today. I will tweet it. I will post an IG, whatever I can do to get the pub going. And most importantly, because we can't close without some sports talk, Ben Lyons is the biggest New York Knicks fan you're going to know. Leon Rose, getting things done. How about your boy, Obi Toppin? Do you love the pick at number eight or what? I've got to be honest. I'm sitting there draft night. I'm watching with Mariah. I'm saying, Mariah, I kind of like this kid from Iowa State. I don't know. I just got off a of Zoom with Tyrese. His name is Tyrese. I'm feeling good. Tyrese Halliburton. She goes, nope, it's Obi Toppin. I like his energy. Obi Toppin. She kept saying it in the house. Sure enough, with the eighth pick, New York Knicks select Obi Toppin. And I couldn't be happier just because of Mariah tuning into his energy and realizing that was the direction the franchise should go. Look, here's where you're at as a Knicks, as a Knicks fan, Adnan, for all these cinephiles who are still listening. They had Ed Davis for 72 hours and got three second-round draft picks. I feel like I won the championship. That's an incredible feat. So we're starting at the bottom, and we got nowhere to go but up. And like I said, Mariah believes in uh, Obi Toppin's energy, so I'm along for the ride. She loves Stockton and Malone, okay? Way back in the day, a Utah Jazz fan. So that, that's what she's thinking about. But 
<laughs> yeah, new ownership group. She's really fired up. She's really fired up. Hey, this has been great, man. We can't do this every five or six months. We got to do this more often so we can uh, so we can catch up. Because honestly, movies I feel like have taken a back seat in the cultural conversation this year uh, to film to to sports to uh, the news, unfortunately, to binge-watching television shows, to, you know, The Last Dance and Tiger King and these long-form docs, like, you know, that I, this great cinema deserves its place in the cultural conversation and shows like this that, that keep it, uh, uh, give it a seat at the table. No, I appreciate it, man. I couldn't agree with you more. But people ask me, what are you binging? I say, what happened to what are you watching? Like, then I can give you an example of something I'm binging because you and I, of course, watch TV. I'm listening. I'm watching The Undoing on HBO, a little d- d- juicy David E. Kelly thriller with uh, Nicole Kibben and Hugh Grant. Yeah, I'm in. I can talk about that. But you and I love I love going- when they get big money New York right. I love when they get private school big money New York absolutely right. And it shows you why you don't shoot it in Detroit or Toronto. You shoot it in New York and it just feels a whole other level. Oh, I agree. It's so authentic. But to your point, you and I still love going to the movies. I know that's hard, obviously, in California right now where you are and obviously in New York City. But here in Jersey, at least I can see some movies at the local mall. I miss the small theaters like you do, those those independent theaters. I worry about if they're ever going to reopen. But I'm with you, man. There's there's nothing like two hours in a theater or at home just locked in rather than watching an entire show, an entire series, an entire documentary. Like sometimes less is more. So I'm with you, man. Movies definitely uh, don't get enough love, especially in this year. But you're the best. Last I am film, Ben Lyons. Last film to plug. Last film. Last film to plug, and he's proud that it's in select theaters. Uh, it's a movie that should be watched with an audience. It's our mutual friend, Josh Dumel, Buddy Games. He wrote it, directed it, stars in it, put it out. It's with Kevin Dillon, Dax Shepard, Olivia Munn. Nick Swarzen has a scene in a van with a prostitute that'll haunt your dreams. It's based off of Josh and his real-life buddies who go and rent a lake house and do all these different games and keep score and have challenges and it gets ridiculous and it's only like i said to josh he's the only person like crazy and stupid enough to make this movie and i mean that in all sincerity he took it as a compliment so a big crowd-pleasing comedy called buddy games out i think this weekend or last weekend uh, i've seen josh everywhere promoting it so yeah Got to support the homie. No, dude, he's the best. You guys are boys. And then he came to ESPN to promote it. Uh, some of his other work, I remember, and then we were talking about, um, you know, just his work and his life. And he's a huge Vikings fan. I mean, as you said, he's a real-life Ken doll. I mean, my wife's in love with him. And I actually saw, I think he's going to be on Kimmel or one of those talk shows later to this week. So I was wondering what he was promoting. So Buddy Games. I love it. Octopus Teacher, Promising a Woman, Buddy Games, and Crystal Healing for Women from Mariah K. Lyons. Ben, you're the best. Thanks, brother. <laughs> Thanks, man. Love to the family. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Mount Rushmore. All right, thanks once again to Ben. He's the best. You can follow him on Twitter, Instagram. I am Ben Lyons. We'll get him back here in Cinephile once again when award season really starts to ramp up. We got this suggestion, and so I take your suggestions. Mount Rushmore, Stephen King adaptations. As my buddy Rick Passmore also texted me, are we going to include movies that Stephen King hates? Because he very famously hated the adaptation of The Shining. Yes, Ricky, we're just going to go ahead and say which ones we think are the best ones. So The Shining is on there, haunting, creepy, iconic. Here's Johnny. Nicholson, I mean, him and Kubrick both just tormenting Shelley Duvall on set. 
stories are legion, red rum, red rum, Shining is on there. Even if Stephen King doesn't like it, it's not a fair adaptation of the book. Carrie is on there. I'm late to the party. Joe's been a big De Palma guy, big Carrie guy all along. I finally saw it during the pandemic. Brilliant, original, especially for its time, and still awfully creepy and chilling. Those two movies to me are no-brainers, as is The Shawshank Redemption, based on the novella Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, the ultimate story about male friendship, which leaves us with only one spot left. You think I'm going to go Gerald's game, don't you? I'm not going to do that. Doctor Sleep I have not seen, even though that is the follow-up to The Shining. Uh, Ewan McGregor, currently on HBO. I have seen it flipping around the channels. Kind of tempted to go with the Green Mile. I know it's long, but I did like Michael Clark Duncan and Hanks. Hanks, the bladder problem, just brutal. But I, uh, <laughs> I got to go with Misery, okay? Rob Reiner, one of my favorites. Check out that interview we did on uh, Cinefile. I was thinking about it the other day. Rob Reiner was a really good guest we had. Well-directed, great script, incredible acting. Kathy Bates won an Oscar. James Caan, when she hobbles him. I mean, I still get nightmares. Oh, God, what a chilling scene that was. So that is my Mount Rushmore Stephen King adaptations. I'm going to go with Carrie, The Shining, The Shawshank Redemption, and Misery. Honorable mention, The Running Man. It's obviously kitschy and uh, a little silly, but I did enjoy it. My brother's a big Schwarzenegger fan, so why not? Running Man, honorable mention. Joe? All right, I will back you up on The Shining. If we're doing Mount Rushmore Stephen King adaptations, that has to go on. Uh, Carrie, great storytelling, super original, like you said. And I'm going to back you up on Misery as well, because unlike a lot of Stephen King adaptations and books, I, th- I think the fear in that is more rooted in real life versus the supernatural. And it's something that, as a result, we can all relate to at, at a deeper level. But my number one favorite adaptation is I Don't Want to Be Buried in a Pet Cemetery. I'm going with Pet Cemetery 1989 remake. I absolutely love that movie so much adnan so my four are the shining carrie misery and pet cemetery but i will put on my honorable mentions gerald's game i didn't expect it to like uh to like the movie that much but it's so good and i'm a fan of movies that take place in one location and are able to you know build the tense narrative around that so that, those are my four but shout out to gerald's game uh, that's great. I've read the book, Gerald's Game. I haven't read a lot of Stephen King's books. I maybe wrote a handful or so. I actually have read Gerald's Game. I mean, it came out long ago. I, I, when did that book come out? I, I think I read it like 15, 20 years ago. I think it definitely came out a long time ago, but the movie is relatively recent. I figure they're going to just adapt all of his movies at some point, but you're right. That's a tough movie to make because so much of it is taking place in one spot, but I, I echo your sentiments. Whenever you can do one location, you know, Dog Day Afternoon at the Bank or Glengarry Glen Ross is a real estate office, I, I give the director's credit. I've never seen Pet Cemetery, so you're going to be upset about that. Now, remember, I'd never seen Blowout, then I finally saw Blowout, Now I'm going to get Pet Cemetery now, the fact that you gave it such a rave review. So, Good choices there. As always, you can tweet us, CinephilePod, C-I-N-E-P-H-I-L-E-P-O-D, or you can tweet me individually, Adnan Esferic. Thank you, as always, uh, to Ben Lines, all the great guests we have. Uh, as I mentioned with Ben, Tara Mealy is coming up to talk about Wander Darkly. That's in the December 8th slash 9th episode. We taped Tuesday, released Wednesday. And coming up next week, I'm going to watch Hillbilly Elegy. I say that with a slight chuckle because... The book was tremendous, which was recommended by my friend Anish Shroff, but the movie apparently is wretched. It's getting 26% right now on Rotten Tomatoes. Some are calling it the worst film of Ron Howard's career. It stars Glenn Close and Amy Adams, so I'll watch it this Thanksgiving weekend, but maybe that will give me the cringe. Uh, in addition to that, The Croods is opening in theaters. So I'd like to take my kids this weekend, and maybe if I can, if I can go see... Uh 
a Dumel movie. I mean, the fact that uh, Ben was hyping it up, Buddy Games. Uh, hopefully, Buddy Games is playing. Maybe we'll review that as well. So, lots more coming up on the next edition of Cinephile. Thanks, as always, for all of your support. I'll see you at the movies, and have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks.